0: About politics, Ron is uh, Tim Shipman, who is one of the most sought-after journalists in Britain. One of the people closest to the actual players in most of the dramas that have gone on over the last several years. Um, he, if you want to understand what really happened with Brexit, check out his book "All Out War" or "Fallout," which is about the 2017 election. I've I've read all of them, and they are compelling and funny and riveting. They're like as if Bob Woodward was actually interesting and had some some style of writing that would make you want to read him. That is Tim Shipman, Shippers Unbound on Twitter. And I know this might be esoteric for some of you, but if you're interested in what's happening in Britain, how it might reflect in some ways what's going on in America, as often it does. Um, And if you just want to know who Boris Johnson is, actually, or indeed, the leader of the opposition, Keir Starmer, who is now the leader of the Labour Party. Uh, stay tuned, because we're going to be getting into all of that. Um, Tim, thank you very much. You're now the political editor of the Sunday Times, right? That's right. In London, um, and my old paper. I wrote. I wrote. I wrote eighteen years. I wrote a column there for eighteen years. It was kind of amazes me in retrospect uh
1: well it's what got me reading the paper to start with andrew so at the risk of repeating oh. uh, uh, all the uh, the love in here um <laughs> it's a great great pleasure to be talking to you well
0: thank you very much um tell us and let's start with the character at the center of all this this shambolic mop-headed blustering tory plummy accented clown um as many people see him tell us first like uh, how, how long have you known this man, Boris Johnson?
1: Uh, I've known him sort of on and off for probably 15 years. I've, I've got to know him pretty well as a journalist over the last five years um, during the time that, uh, you know, since the Brexit referendum, uh, the run-up to that um, and the astonishing fallout that we've had here. And this is a guy who has had an absolute roller coaster of a career. He has looked you know, like the king of the world on several occasions, and he's looked absolutely dead, buried and finished as a political force, uh, you know, at several points over the last decade. Um, I have never lost 10 quid um, betting on Boris Johnson making a comeback. And, you know, what we've seen um, over the last few years bears that out. You know, this is a guy who was mayor of London. Uh, Well, he was quite a successful MP. He looked like he was heading for a front-bench cabinet career. Then fell over his own feet um, uh, into the arms of the wrong woman and uh, blew up his career that way Um, then he became Mayor of London um, uh, but looked like he was going to have to fight um, uh, quite hard to become Tory leader it was, it was, the path was not clear for him and then this referendum comes along uh he backs the uh, you know the leave campaign it's not clear that he expected to win he does then win it looks like he's then in pole position to become prime minister uh the guy who's uh, at that point his campaign manager and trying to help him the guy who ran the referendum campaign with Michael Gove then decides he's not up to the job pulls the plug which does for them both frankly um johnson was finished by that and gove was accused of duplicity and he was done for as well so Theresa may takes over and runs you know at, at, an attempt to get uh, brexit done and get britain out of the european union that is an agonizing two-year process which goes nowhere at the end of which um the tory party virtually implodes because they haven't delivered on the thing that they said they would uh, and falls into the arms of boris johnson who promptly plays hardball does all sorts of extraordinary things to uh, to force a deal through, um, to force Parliament into a position uh, where they uh, have to go along with what what, what he wants. Um, gets an election, wins a landslide, and just again, as it looks like he's, you know, king of the world, along comes Covid, which he was, frankly, fairly lax about dealing with to start with. The first few months looked like an absolute shambles, a catastrophe, everyone was predicting, you know, that this, was, this man was finished. Um, and then, a bit unlike Donald Trump, uh, who Covid you know sort of did for um Boris Johnson's government managed to get a vaccine program up and running which is now you know the envy of the world um and he um has landed on his feet once more um and i don't know any other political leader who's had a kind of roller coaster
0: and the, what so what keeps him going what is this about him that seems to be resistant to what might be rational political judgment. I mean, is there something about him? I was listening to a focus group today on Times Radio, actually. and people, I mean, I don't think people worship him, but they sort of think he's, you know, he's doing what he's doing. You know, he's he's all right. He's hanging in there. He's 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 still got, and he's still ahead in the polls, right? He's what is he ten points? Yeah, out, no, right? I mean,
1: astonishingly, yeah, I mean, the Tory Party has has never really drifted behind, as despite 126,000 deaths, um, it hasn't affected them too badly. Uh, Boris Johnson has managed to pull off the astonishing trick of being not necessarily across the detail, not necessarily au fait with the facts, but sort of authentic in his um, uh, inadequacy uh, to a degree. Ah. He's also an astonishing, you know, he's one of those people you meet in politics who he's got two things going for him. The public sort of fundamentally quite likes him. If you go out on the street with him, you get the kind of reaction that I've only really seen with, Bill Clinton and occasionally with Barack Obama, um, uh, in terms of following these guys around. He's got more cut through with with the punter than Barack Obama had or Tony Blair had, all the people we think of as being brilliant at politics. And he's got a sort of feral sense of his own survival. And people say you know one of the criticisms of him is he's not very strategic he doesn't plan ahead um but what he does do is deal with the problem that's in front of him at the time and if that creates further problems for him down the road he'll deal with them when they come along and he's got a very sort of nuanced sense of what he needs to do at a given moment in order to keep moving forward um and he's got a sort of bizarre optimism which the the punters quite like they, you know, they like hearing a politician say, "Actually, it's all going to be fine. It'll work out for the best. Don't worry about it." And sometimes that's in the face of, you know, blinding facts that would would floor most politicians. But Boris Johnson's sort of refusal to be floored by them uh, then impresses the public and, and keeps him going. Um, he's a, you know, he's an astonishing character.
0: Yeah, when you th- and also when you think about the way he presents himself as this really plummy semi-aristocrat, uh, muddle-headed, bumbling through everything. But he's, he does seem to be the sort of, and this is what I think people over here might have a hard time understanding, he seems to be a representative of the old elites, the people you might most think people were sick to death of, and yet they've accepted him more than they would other meritocrats, other people who come from... Horror backgrounds, even though I know he exaggerates his aristocratic background a lot. But nonetheless, he's putting on an act of being a super posh uh, Tory. And, and that seems to have won over the north of England. Can you explain how this, this parody of a, a Tory politician has somehow won over the British working classes?
1: Because I think there's two things. Firstly, he's not embarrassed about the fact that he went to Eton, you know, Britain's most exclusive school, uh, which has produced many a prime minister. David Cameron, who also went there, used to squirm over the thing. Um, He was deeply embarrassed about it. um, You know, he didn't like being seen as this sort of elitist. Boris Johnson's totally unabashed. But the thing that you need to understand uh, in terms of the the sort of... uh, The the thinking public that understands some of these nuances also understands that Boris Johnson sees himself as an outsider. He would tell you, I was a scholarship kid at Eton, and that David Cameron paid to go, Um, (laughs) which makes him, you know, he 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 behaves, he thinks of himself as an outsider, and to a degree, the public sort of sense that, even though he's this, you know, had this gilded existence to uh, to a large degree. You know, he comes from Turkish immigrant stock. Um, He was born in America. He is kind of a melting pot sort of person. Um, And he can, because he's not embarrassed about who he is, there's a sort of authenticity about him that people from very, very different backgrounds kind of like. And because he's got this reputation of being sort of a bit of a Jack the Lad, he's had a few affairs, he's got a love child, you know, a lot of other people sort of look at him and think, you know good on you boris people will shout to him in the street they'll literally yell that at him when you're walking along with him oh, that's, you know um, it, you, he goes yeah go on You go to a factory you go to a factory with him and the guys on the shop floor i once went on a visit with him and david cameron and david Cameron... you know a few people politely shook david cameron's hand some people wanted selfies because he was the prime minister at the time but boris johnson was literally mobbed you know they followed him round you know going all right boris you know how are you doing boris and all this kind of thing and um he kind of has that cut through with blue collar Britain. Um, he does. Donald I mean, Trump obviously has at your end.
0: I remember. I remember at Oxford where we were contemporaries. Uh, uh, we overlapped, not entirely contemporaries, and he was coming up in the Oxford Union when I was the president of it, and uh, and I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder about all these Etonians, all these these upper class twits, as I sort of thought, uh, but not Boris. And I, and the reason was. He wasn't, you're right, he didn't pretend to be anything other than that. And he made it a kind of almost play, an almost game of being this crazy tough, in which he got the joke too. And so you're always in on the joke with him. Whereas so many of the other Etonians that I knew and didn't really like that much were constantly downplaying this. They looked, they wanted to appear to be like working class. They went by, they called themselves Dave rather than David. And there was something so fake about that that you kind of warmed to Boris after a while. Um, And I could never. And the other thing that happens is that a certain kind of intelligent liberal, lefty, hates him so much that they can't really articulate why they hate him. And their hatred seems befuddling to a lot of regular people who just see him as a nice character. They certainly don't think him as someone they should really despise. And yet he really is kind of despised uh, in The Guardian reading BBC running classes, right? Or am I, am I wrong about that?
1: No, I think that's right. And actually, that was something he found quite difficult to come to terms with, because he only won election uh, as London mayor, which is broadly, you know, a Labour, it's a left of centre city. Um, it's full of young people and full of public service uh, workers. Um full of uh, university educated people who uh, look down their nose at some of his politics. Um, But he managed to win partly by going out into the suburbs and winning over those blue collar workers uh, in the sort of outer donut of London, um, uh, the outer burbs. But he also, you know, he got quite a lot of liberal people voting for him too. on the basis that, you know, Boris Johnson is essentially a pretty liberal kind of guy. And this is one of the things where he's very different from Donald Trump. Uh, both of them have used immigration as an electoral tool at various moments. But Boris Johnson is basically a pretty much open borders, pro-immigration kind of guy. Um, and essentially, he can get away with talking to two audiences quite a lot of the time. He can he can win over those people who uh, see his policy, which is, you know, um, uh, to uh, to clamp down on immigration now. That was what the the Vote Leave campaign uh, talked about during uh, the referendum. Um, but he himself is is pretty liberal, talks enthusiastically about, you know, talented people from around the world coming to Britain. And so he's always been able to slightly Janus face, look in both directions and, and hoover up votes from, from both corners.
0: Yeah, and then we have this really rather striking decision to allow anybody in Hong Kong who feels that they're being subjected to political persecution, as they are, uh, giving them a possibility of a visa to the UK. It's hard to imagine Trump, for example, saying, okay, everyone in Hong Kong who wants to come and stay in the United States, now that they're in a, a communist dictatorship, come on in. But Boris Boris said, yes, everybody come in. This, this befuddles Americans, this strange... Combination of a kind of liberal international i mean this is a man who grew up in Brussels right I mean his father was employed by the european Commission, one of the first British employees of the european Commission um uh that he would that he would also be able to control or try and control immigration or rather i think it'd be fair to him is to change the immigration rules so that it's no longer anybody in the EU who can come and live indefinitely wherever they want to a point system like Australia, where they're trying to admit people based on on skills.
1: Yeah, and he would also say fairness and equity to the rest of the world. Britain has links to a lot of uh, parts of the world, Africa, the the Indian subcontinent, um, and those people were being, you know, having a much more difficult time coming than people in the EU. Um, his argument would be that the referendum was about control; it was not about reductions. It was about um, saying um, we get to you know, choose if we're going to. Do- we get to choose who comes. Um, though, Of course, a lot of people who voted for him definitely want reductions, and there'll be a, a slight tension there, which uh, will be interesting to monitor.
0: Yes. Um, now, the other thing that's striking is how much the Conservative Party, the old party of Thatcher or even of Osborne and Cameron, these, these, these tight-fisted austerity mongers, uh, have the Tories now are essentially have been spending more money than than Blair could have dreamed of at this point, I think. I don't know the precise comparisons, but we've clearly had a shift left in conservative economic policy. Um, it, 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 there's not a huge difference between the kind of uh, policies that Biden, for example, has begun to pursue or that the u s. was about to do before Biden in the uh, the first draft of the American Rescue plan. And the Tories have basically been quite profligate in spending, haven't they? I mean, it's, that's been a huge shift in conservative economic policy.
1: Yeah, and this is a, a further answer to the question you asked earlier, which is, you know, how does Boris Johnson uh, appeal to a bunch of working class people uh, in the north of England? Well, partly he does it by pledging to spend a, an astronomically large sum of money um building things for them um, and making their lives better. Um, and that predates uh, Covid. Um, yeah. Covid has ex- vastly uh, exponentially increased that. I mean, you know, uh, Britain's... Um, uh, Deficit is soaring Um, the debt level is up to 100% of GDP um, And it's uh, it's a you know, uh, but Boris Johnson is a jolly Tory who, uh, you know uh, Follows the Tory line on some things but one of the reasons the left in Britain has found it so difficult to Cause him damage is that he unashamedly, you know, even as mayor and certainly, you know, as prime minister has shown no inclination to control spending uh, at all um he never he never did in his
0: personal life either. this is the man of great appetites is he not um
1: uh yeah and and in terms of as prime minister he loves building stuff he wants everything to cost tens of billions of pounds um you know no problem uh, exists that can't have money chucked at it um and you know he's built a, an entirely different coalition it was interesting actually during the brexit process there were lots of people saying oh the, none of the parties speak for me and there were lots of people who tried to set up new parties that were kind of in that space of the sort of old blairite um center uh ground you know the sort of what would have been the new democrats you know back in the 1990s in america um which were sort of um uh, fiscally controlled but um uh, socially liberal. Yeah. Uh, when people looked at the polls who were actually thinking, well, should we, how, what if we were to start a new party from scratch? Where would it be? The gap was not in socially liberal, fiscally controlled. The gap was very much in socially conservative, fiscally profligate. Yes, And pretty much that is where Boris Johnson has now parked the conservative party.
0: And that is also in the American context, quite clearly the the sweet spot. And and I think what Biden is trying to navigate is how does he uh, not associate himself with a kind of leftist uh, anti-cultural conservatism, uh, in other words, a kind of woke leftism, which would un, un you know unsettle his uh, many of the supporters in the middle who quite like this massive amount of spending of aid, of infrastructure investment, and so on and so forth. Um, and again, on the right. In this country, even though you know none of them voted for the COVID plan, they haven't yet. Even though Trump spent vast amounts of money, they haven't yet shifted the Republicans to really define themselves as against the economic right. Uh, so we we have two parties over here that haven't quite put those two things together. And it strikes me as quite typical that a conservative party in Britain, which is a, which is a party that is as, as successful as any in the West, because it has an unerring sense of power over principle has swiftly moved into this space. But it has a tradition, doesn't it, in, in Britain, the conservatism of of sort of noblesse oblige, of, 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 of big spending. I mean, you can go back to Disraeli, for example, as maybe one of the first sort of people who mastered the art of a upper class, well, he obviously he was a maverick too, a total outsider, but also a, fa- a sort of alliance between the monarchy, the aristocracy, and the working class around nationalism. Uh, so this is an old Tory formula, is it not?
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, Disraeli talked about there being two nations of the sort of, you know, that lived very different lives. and And ever since that time, conservatives in Britain have... When they've wanted to look like they're reaching out have branded themselves as one nation conservatives to show that you know it's pulling everybody together the the immediate post-war years as well you had the labor government come in after the second world war set up the welfare state and spend lots of money um and uh the tory administrations that followed went along with that until the 1970s when the spending got so far out of control that britain became a sort of international laughing stock margaret thatcher then came along and changed all that uh, and did a lot of things at the same time as as ronald reagan um, uh, to try and you know rein in the state and do things differently though interestingly the coalition she built to do that was not dissimilar to the one that boris johnson has built yeah. um you have you have a lot of working class people who voted for margaret thatcher because she let them buy their council house um and in the same way you have you know reagan democrats uh, in the states who you know voted in, uh, in the 1980s and perhaps at no other point in their lives um so while what boris johnson looks like he's doing now is responding to a changing demographic a changing uh, sort of culture war that's going on obviously to changing um political circumstances um as you say there are you know there's a tradition that goes back centuries and you only have to go back 30 years to thatcher to see that you know with very different issues um, a a similar demographic coalition was put together
0: i'm curious as to what boris is is like personally i I haven't seen him since we were in college together one-on-one uh i went back about a year and a bit ago to sort of talk to people about him. And, and what was really striking to me was how universal the opinion was among all sorts of people, including people who were really on his side, who'd worked with him for a long time, that you couldn't trust him an inch, that he, he would lie to your face, that he was a, a a cynic and an opportunist. There was a huge amount of envy of this guy, not much actual warmth or love for him. And the more I Looked into it, the lonelier he seemed to be as a human being. I mean, the, the, he's not, I mean, when you think, I think of David Cameron, for example, and I think of was the middle of this social nexus of, of socializing, of people who knew him, people who liked him. Boris is not that well connected in that way. Am I, am I reading this wrong? Or in years, his, his peers aren't that keen on him. Am I
1: misreading that? No, you're totally not misreading it. Um, This is one of the things that I find very interesting about him. For this guy who is uh, basically appears to be very clubbable and very uh, outgoing, he is actually one of the most self-contained. Um, lonely is... Uh, whether that's the right word or not, I'm not sure, but it's certainly, you know, as shorthand, it's fine. Solitary, Um, maybe.
0: He's a solitary
1: figure. He's a solitary figure. He doesn't have many uh, friends. Most of his close friends over the years have been women rather than men. Um, Men tend to envy him or are jealous of him or want to be him. Um, He's not that comfortable spending time um, in the company of men. He's, you know, actually, while he, you know, has this reputation as this sort of, big old boyo who goes out sleeping with anything with a pulse um you know he's not the kind of person who then sits in the pub and and talks about it um Mm. if that makes sense he does he has um uh, you know he he's He's very self-contained um, and actually, you know, there are moments, the, 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 I've had a few sort of moments where I've cut through with him as a journalist. Um, I've had some private time with him, you know, dinners and that sort of thing. So I've seen him in slightly different contexts. He's generally someone who's better with a big crowd mm-hmm. um, or in a very small group, like mm-hmm. dinner for four rather than dinner for 10 or 12. In a situation, you know, I'm, I've never been to a dinner party with him, but I'm told at dinner parties he withdraws completely. He he doesn't want to give of himself in those circumstances. He doesn't give much away. Uh, often he's been surrounded when he was uh, with his previous wife in North London. Um, you know, they were often having dinner parties with a bunch of people who disagreed with him politically, and so he would, uh, he would clam up. Um, in sort of circumstances where... You know i've had dinner my wife and I have had dinner with him and his uh his fiance um uh, back before he became prime minister and you know in those circumstances he's much more willing to be entertaining and to put on a bit of a show and to tell you what he thinks um I spent a lot of time with him during the referendum campaign um I did a big interview for the Sunday Times magazine, which people can still find online and it's one of the things I'm prouder of because it sort of i did get him to admit that he was you know a bit of a, a, a loner um, didn't have many friends uh, you know uh, didn't feel terribly comfortable about that sometimes and um, the other extraordinary experience i had with him was immediately after the referendum when michael gove had knifed him um about a week after that i was uh, walking through parliament and he was there and i just started talking to him and walking with him and we walked up we walked through a building up some stairs down some more stairs through another building and i was expecting him to tell me to get lost and eventually i sat in his room trying to piece together with him what had happened um and the sort of sense of hurt and bewilderment that he'd been betrayed in this way it's one of the most sort of rawest experiences i've ever had with a politician Mm. he you know this guy who appears to be you know events everything seems to bounce off him um but in that circumstance he you know he was a broken man and um you know Trying to understand why and how it had all happened. I remember um, that that, that press
0: conference he gave that day. He seemed utterly defeated. Um, people were shocked. that He just said, "I'm done. I'm, I'm not running." Uh, and there was something about him then that seemed extremely wounded. I think someone else said to me this to me about him he, that he does, however bo- boisterous and full of bravado who he is, he actually does show a certain kind of vulnerability at the same time that lots of people kind of lean into. Um, and that's another thing that people who've just known him told me about him. I can see it from a distance, but not entirely. Is that, does that does that jibe with your own impressions of him?
1: Yeah, and I think that's uh, insofar as, you know, um he has had support from women over the years, I think they sense that him in, in him perhaps even more than men do. Yeah. Um and, and there's, there's no there's gender gap, element. is there,
0: in the voting there? I mean, as many women voted for him as men. There was not in the US now. There's this really quite remarkable gender gap, whereas that didn't really exist in England, uh, in Britain. Sorry, over the last few elections. I mean, I looked at it.
1: No, not in a meaningful way. I think. I think. It is, I think. Perhaps um, uh, Johnson did slightly less well than Theresa May with women, but it was. It was certainly not a noticeable thing. Um, Uh, you know, in times past, it's been quite a big gap.
0: Let me shift a little bit. and We've seen how the Tory party with its kind of reptilian-like ability to smell where power lies and to move in that position. And yet we've also had a really interesting period on the the British left, uh, which also has things, I think, to inform us about in in the US. And the Corbyn experience um, was really a dalliance with With uh, more in both areas, domestic, but especially foreign policy, uh, uh, probably the most left wing uh, agenda that any political party has put forward in Britain um, since the war, uh, including the 1945 government, I would I would say. But uh, and they did really well in the 2017 election, much better than anybody expected, which is why Corbyn was able to remain in control. But of course, after the collapse last time, he had to go. And they settled on someone I also, just by complete weird chance, know, knew, once knew very well, um, Keir Starmer, who's now the leader of the Labour Party. And, uh, you know, the Democrats had Biden as a kind of throwback, in some ways, a, a way to avoid the problem of picking a post-Trump uh, Democrat. Um, Whereas the Labour Party sort of went about it, and and Keir Starmer, uh, who I went to school with, um, uh, emerged... When I said school, I meant actual high school, grammar school. I went to grammar school like you did. Um, And appeared to be sort of moving back to the centre, more reasonable, more competent, more established. um, And people were excited for a while, and then then we've seen this... uh, this decline in his fortunes as well. Tell us what you make of this person, the the, the leader of the opposition. Is is he a good foil for Boris, or is it actually not a good combination?
1: Well, I mean, initially, the comparisons worked quite favourably for the Labour Party. Keir Starmer uh, was a former uh, director of public prosecutions um, in Britain. That was the the chap deciding, you know, who went to court and all that sort of thing. A a real detail guy, um, uh, meticulous in preparing a brief. And frankly, he approached, you know, parliamentary debates, prime minister's questions a little bit as a lawyer would uh, approach the cross-examination of a witness and then the summing up uh, uh, before the the judge. Um, And that was quite effective to start with, particularly because that was at a time he's coming up on one year as leader of the opposition. So a year ago, Boris Johnson was, you know, in, in the first uh, uh, lockdown had been imposed, the first one, and it was not going terribly well. The, you know, uh, death rate was soaring. And and a few pointed questions that could cut through, uh, you know, what was undeniably a lot of problems um, were, uh, you know, that, that, that went quite well for the Labour Party. What is less obvious is how good at the politics he is um, and how... Uh, you know he's, he appears to be not that ruthless at you know stamping on a guy's throat when he's got them down um uh he's made a few tactical kind of maneuvers there've been lots of terribly clever things in Westminster where you know they've abstained on certain things and it starts to look like a man who can't sit on the fence it, well he spends his whole time sitting on the fence yeah uh, and Tory pollsters have you know focus group Starmer and they find that uh, boris Johnson has a line. he calls him Captain hindsight whenever <laughs> uh, Starmer comes up with uh, you know some kind of criticism around covid that's a South um, Park reference you know
0: the South Park has captain hindsight. They created Captain hindsight a, a few years ago, so good for boris for and that's the other that that's <laughs> the
1: other thing about Boris Johnson. his range of uh, cultural references is quite astonishing. Oh, I've I never done an interview with him where I have not had to Google something about Greek myth or uh, you know. Asterix or whatever it is he's <laughs> got you know he's got all these things at his fingertips so he pulls these things out latches onto them and throws them at Keir Starmer who's quite a serious chap um and doesn't you know uh, parliament at its best is a sort of bare pit with partisans on both sides screaming and you get a sense of who's doing well who's got the support behind them of course we've not really had that thanks to covid no that's the, the weird thing we've not seen empty.
0: We've not seen a Keir-Boris bear bear fight, really, with both sides baying. So we, we've never quite tested it. But one would think, I would think, that would help Keir, really, because he's used to quiet. He's used to prosecuting cases in, in these sort of... He is, so a courtroom. good way
1: of... A good way of attacking a Prime Minister at Prime Minister's questions is, is ridicule and jokes. and um, right. And when you do a joke at the moment, it literally just falls flat on its uh, what's-it, you know, into, a, into, a, into dead air. Um, I think the best thing that I've heard said about Starmer, um, uh, a guy who's been around Labour politics for a long time who has... Um, Uh, worked with several leaders of the opposition he said to me look the successful people we've had uh, on on the center left um, in the western world in in recent times have been actor lawyers Bill Clinton Tony Blair Barack Obama they're all they're sort of actor performer lawyers and what Mm. we've got with Keir Starmer is a lawyer lawyer Um, and you know what is missing is that kind of pizzazz Um, and if the guy you're trying to cross-examine refuses to be cross-examined, does a bunch of jokes and just sort of squirms out of it uh, without really feeling that he has to answer the question, your sort of rapier-like cross-examination skills um, start to look, you know, like they're not quite cutting through. And he's copped it from both sides, Stammer. You know, he gets it from... Uh, you know, I've sat through a lot of focus groups on, on COVID and Brexit recently, and the public doesn't really like... Uh, Labour having a go at the government over Covid they know it's a difficult situation Uh, the average uh, man in the street sort of thinks you know Labour should be trying to be constructive and not really having a go behind him the left of the Labour Party which is hugely suspicious of Starmer um, because they think he sucked up to Jeremy Corbyn and then distanced himself as got elected almost as a sort of uh, the safe pair of hands who could reach out to the Corbynistas and to the the centre right of the Labour Party. Uh, as soon as he got in, immediately tacked into being the sort of centrist politician like Tony Blair. So they feel pretty betrayed by him, and they are furious that he is not doing more to attack the government, uh, more to defeat the government, to arrange, uh, you know, votes and. Uh, amendments and all the rest of it that will cause the government difficulty so starmer is sort of caught between you know public opinion being one thing and his party thinking the other which is exactly what happened to jeremy corbyn on brexit where um you know uh almost all labour mps were remainers um uh but two-thirds of their constituencies voted to leave um and a lot of their While most of their voters voted to remain, uh, quite a decent chunk of them in the marginal seats voted to leave. So Labour has had a difficult time over the last few years looking in both directions. And, uh, you know, you see parallels, the obvious parallels with Biden, you know, having to fend off AOC on one flank um, and do his best to keep the Republicans at bay on the other side. The weird
0: thing I have to tell you, um, from knowing Keir pretty well in high school, we were... We got on the same bus every morning and we used to have unbelievably loud, knockdown arguments about politics. Those were the 70s and I was a Thatcherite and he was, I don't know what he was. But he's, he, I don't recognize him. I mean, I just don't recognize the guy that I used to hang out with back in my Because he was teens. more of a firebrand. Then. He was totally a firebrand. He would throw his weight around. He would he would yell. He had passion. He had fury. Um, He was caustic. Um, and we, I mean, it, it was every day on the up top of the 428 and 410 buses. We, were, we was almost a performance every day. Um, uh, and he, he just, I mean, I, I, I've been in touch with him before he became opposition as well. And we, cause when I go over, there's a bunch of us from old school that get together and he's, I I won't say a word against him. He's a, he's a lovely guy and a, a really wonderful friend. And, he uh, knows who is no isn't isn't full of himself, smart, decent, principled, all the rest of it, but changed. I mean, so uptight now, so buttoned down. I uh, he was he was one of the lads back then, uh, and I think if only he would let that inner sort of rebel come out a little bit more, um, I think he may be a bit more appealing. But then I you know I don't know him. I, I haven't known him for decades um, properly but he certainly is not recognizable from the figure that i knew growing up um, and you know i did he was Starmer sullivan so i was right behind him in school every every day for six years um, but anyway that's 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 uh, that's that's fascinating um, to me and of course what's happened too and one sort of thinks if america didn't have these fixed elections in november i'm just wondering if if trump had managed to hack it out into the spring where both he and Boris actually did a relatively good job on vaccine preparation. If they fucked up everything else, they definitely got that Operation Warp Speed or whatever he called it. Nonetheless, it it did make a difference. And there must be something agonizing for all your Remainer types who criticized Boris last year when he opted out of the EU vaccine strategy and plonked a friend of his in charge of the British vaccine strategy, was crucified publicly for doing this, and yet it worked out. And not only that, but not only does it work out, but with Johnson's luck, he's now got the optics in which Britain, having left the EU, is now way ahead of the EU on its vaccination program, on its economic recovery. That must drive people crazy who, 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 who don't like him and who are essentially sympathetic to the EU. Is that just an example of Boris's luck again?
1: Yeah, it's partly his luck, but it's the effect that he has. Um, You know, he does drive people mad and they find it very difficult to know how to take him on. Um, And he appears to have driven quite a lot of people in the European Commission mad. Um, (laughs) They are in, well, they're in, you know, we, we have a thing... BDS here, Brexit derangement syndrome, which is um, where partisans on both sides appear to lose their faculties um, because they're so enraged by what the other people are doing that they they don't really think about what would be best for them. Um, ha- over here, we have
0: no idea what that's like. We, we, we... <laughs> 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 the entire our entire political culture is simply one bunch of people being absolutely. Uh, aghast and horrified by everything the other side does but go on i, mean, I don't want to interrupt yeah but
1: you. i mean your, your listeners may not know but i mean the, the the stuff that's been going on has been fairly extraordinary so britain is way ahead both in producing vaccines and then putting jabs in arms and as a consequence the eu has been threatening you know uh, to ban the export of of the vaccines that are being produced in the eu which britain had the good sense to sign up for first um They have, uh, you know, they're now threatening to cut off ingredients this week so that we can't make vaccines here, which are then due to go back to them. Um, And they've generally been going around sort of behaving in a slightly uh, authoritarian, uh, weird way that, you know, uh, violates their own law. Yeah, Um, so you would think the EU is sort of driven the mass. Right, because the
0: EU is supposed to be this. Rational, uh, always unifying, never passionate, and they're behaving like 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 rabid nationalists in a kind of way at this point.
1: Yeah, they're behaving like a lot of the Remainers did here um, over 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 the whole Leave vote, um, and that the EU stood back, you know, during those sort of three years of turmoil as the sort of wry observer of this chaos you know they treated britain you know a little bit like a uh, you know a sort of banana republic that couldn't really be trusted to tie its own shoelaces uh, let alone come up with a, a sensible plan for brexit um but the second it happens um and they've got themselves in a mess over this and they've talked down our vaccine the, the oxford astrazeneca vaccine said it's unsafe i mean there's astonishing figures this week in france 30 percent of people think it's safe even though their own um uh, administrators have approved it and said it's perfectly fine. Their own president has, has said stuff that has damaged his own ability to vaccinate his own population as a consequence. And they've all, you know, they've behaved in a way that, frankly, yeah. has left some people who voted to remain, um, uh, most of whom have not changed their minds, frankly, um, saying, um, well, you know, it's all a bit embarrassing. You can't slightly see the point of Brexit. And as you say, it's very fortunate for Johnson because... He was already going to be able to blame whatever economic turmoil Brexit might have brought on COVID, anyway, and right. now he can turn around and say, "Look, if we'd stayed in, this is this is how they would have behaved. We would still be waiting for our vaccines." It's it's astonishingly fortuitous uh, set of events, but part of it is it's it's not wholly divorced from Johnson. No, it, it is partly the effect it has on people, and 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 they have, you know, they've sort of gone a bit nuts, really. But did he?
0: Personally, charm them. I mean, uh, the Macron. I mean, seems to have disarmed Macron at one point. I remember last year, he he had a he he kind of disarmed Varadkar or Varadkar, the Irish uh, T. too. Does he? Does he? Does his personal charm work on these people? Do you know much about his personal relationships with these people? I
1: think it works on some of them and not on others. Um,
0: <laughs> Merkel but, must be a hard nut you know, to crack I would think.
1: Merkel's Merkel's slightly different. I'll come to her. I mean yes it's you know him and Macron have one of these sort of you know busy uh, WhatsApp relationships which drives officials mad and people trying to use the freedom of information act to find out what's going on even nada. They um, WhatsApp each other. No prospect ever. <laughs> yeah, they WhatsApp each other and you know um it, we've had this fuss here today in Britain actually um where Downing Street did not tell um, uh, members of the press that Boris Johnson had had calls with certain EU leaders around uh, this whole vaccine war issue. Um, huh. They then claimed that some of these calls were private calls because they did not have officials listening into them. So basically, the, uh, Boris has been picking up the phone and having friendly chats with these people. You know, he claims on his private time, which is a pretty astonishing way for a uh, prime minister to behave because normally you have uh, you know, half a dozen people listening in to all these things in case something important is said. Um, but that's how he, he does his business, and you're right. You know, He got a deal in part because it, you know, Theresa May spent two years meticulously going through the detail of Brexit, work, you know, methodically plodding forwards um, without great imagination, but with great diligence to try and find a way through. And Boris Johnson came in, looked a guy in the eye and said, should we do a deal? Um, and Neo and Varadkar had political problems of his own and they did a deal and the rest of Europe basically went along with it. Um, so, you know, he has that power to sort of get in a room with someone. I think, you know, Angela Merkel uh, has a habit of being immune to the charms of... Uh, uh, foreign male politicians that goes back some way uh but you know you even hear there that she uh is sort of I don't think charmed is the right word, but she's certainly <laughs> intrigued by him. The right. relationship she had with David Cameron was always compared to uh, one of a sort of slightly disapproving aunt with a a, a a young nephew who disappointed her a little bit, but she thought was, you know, quite sweet. and you know, Promising. She didn't mind the way he looked and all the rest. Of but yeah, promising chap who's turned up. you know, it would have been better if he'd taken a different course. But Boris goes in, you know, as you said, he grew up in Brussels. This is a guy who speaks, you know, a, Pretty much native French. Um, he speaks good, you know. Other, you know, five or six languages. He can go in. He can talk a bit of German to her. He can make a few jokes with, you know, a, a, a historic German resonance. Um, do a bit of self-deprecation, and this. actually, Angela Merkel doesn't mind that too much. You know, um, she's she's not someone who's going to sort of fall for him in the way um, that some people do. But I think you know uh, because he's got this reputation of being this. Uh, sort of terrible Trumpite um, buffoon who lies about everything. When someone who is basically a sophisticated European liberal turns up speaking your language fluently and uh, making quite clever jokes, um, uh, they look at him and think this is not quite what we're expecting. I mean, people they they th- really, really thought he was Trump. And while there are obvious comparisons to be made, you know, he he isn't. Um, and actually that, you know, redounds to his advantage.
0: Right. I always remember when Trump quoted the Iliad in the original ancient Greek. <laughs> no, <there's, laughs> there is, but well, the trouble is that the US press is so, 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 so bad that uh, they once they locked on to his Trump, they couldn't write a single story about him, which wasn't basically attempting to make him Trump. Um, and and I, I, if you follow the New York Times' coverage of Britain over the last year or so, I mean, it's, it's really almost a parody of itself. Well, that's the point
1: I was going to make. To be honest, it's become an absolute joke here. I'm afraid. I mean, I'm you know, it, it, traditionally a big fan of the New York Times. It's a proper serious paper, and a lot of its U.S. political coverage is excellent. But um, I'm afraid its coverage of Britain has over the last couple of years has been um, uh, just parodic. It's yeah. uh, it's it's a great shame, really. It um, is because it's a much Post more interesting quite, quite story. It's a in more London. interesting story than they're
0: than they're allowing. It, it's a fascinating and full of drama story in many ways. That,
1: well, and also the comparisons and the differences are, would be interesting to an American mm-hmm. audience, yeah. you know. Um.
0: Yeah, and, and, and they're not, but they're, they're really not that interested in, in, in that whole uh, dynamic uh, at all. Um, what do you think, you know, he, I don't know much about his relationship with Trump, Boris, but I wonder what your thoughts are about his, his obviously imminent attempt to woo Joe Biden. Um, one of the things I, I learned when I was over there, this is partly by actually talking to Dominic Cummings, and maybe we should mention him for a minute. I mean, there was a point at which everybody was saying that, that it was really Boris's guru, Dominic Cummings, this rather brilliant, funny, sharp, very incisive mind, I would say. One of the smartest people I've come across in my, in my time. Uh, that he was really just the puppet of, of Dom, as they called him. But Dom is gone uh, and yet, it still seems the same. Boris, did we? But one of the things I did know to get to my the point was that Cummings was a huge Obama fan. Uh, uh, Boris was also a huge Obama fan, um, and Boris and he were extremely leery of Trump to begin with, and really didn't ever quite drop that view of him as a bit of a nutcase. Um, but I would imagine, in fact, that Boris would have. Would be more comfortable with Biden than he was with Trump. Am I wrong about that?
1: No, I don't think you are. I mean, Johnson and Trump went through several cycles. Um, prior to Trump's election, Boris Johnson said some astonishingly rude things about <laughs> Donald Trump. Uh, he was asked, you know, whether uh, when he was London mayor, whether he'd go and um, do something in New York. And he said he didn't want to go to New York because there might be a danger of running into Donald Trump. Um, and he, you know, he said a lot worse things than that about him. Yes. Um, the second he Once Trump got elected, um, there was a sense that British diplomats in Washington were not terribly well in uh, with Trump. So Boris, as Foreign Secretary, was sort of dispatched to get to know the the Trumpies, and he got, you know, on a reasonable terms with Jared Kushner, but also, you know, uh, with Steve Bannon and uh, Stephen Miller and some of the, you know, the more alt-right people around Trump. Um, And then... uh, the recent memoir by Kim Darroch, the, the former uh, British ambassador, ambassador in, mm-hmm. in Washington, he says that Boris was absolutely fascinated by Trump, couldn't, you know, was just absolutely captivated by the way Trump had been able to behave in the way that he had and get away with it. And, and I think Boris sort of saw another reasonably charismatic person who could cut through and was intrigued by how he did it um, and certainly some of their techniques of uh some of the populist techniques are not wholly dissimilar um but as i said earlier i don't think their personal politics are, are, are similar at all um and boris was always i mean i you know um uh, i quote in uh my first book a comment that boris made about trump that you know if he wins you know this would be all of america's worst impulses uh coming through um you know uh, i think i quoted him telling a friend that but i had very good reason to know that that was his view let's put it that way Mm. um not wrong either uh, no and then uh, he uh, we had this period as foreign secretary where they they got on quite well but then you know when he became prime minister the fact that so many people were comparing him to trump i think irritated boris um and uh, you know i know of someone in downing street with whom he had a conversation uh where people were saying, oh, you know, who do we want to win, you know, the recently passed US election? And and Boris kind of conceded that, you know, the inner demon in his head thought it, you know, there might be some kind of merit to Trump winning it. But he didn't want Trump to win. He wanted Biden to win. Uh, You know, there are lots of reasons for that. You know, Britain is a multilateral kind of operator. And so is Biden. And, Britain wanted a calmer ally, Um, and Boris, frankly, didn't need all those comparisons. The sooner Donald Trump was off the world stage and he could be judged for himself rather than as a sort of, uh, you know, Britain Trump, uh, as the the former president put it, uh, the better for Boris. Um, And I don't know of a single person in Downing Street um, who wanted Donald Trump uh, to win the election, and Dominic Cummings certainly didn't.
0: No, no. You were here, weren't you, when you you covered the Obama campaign for the
1: Telegraph, am I right? Yeah, I, I... yeah that 's right i did uh, i i was in I did the sort of full time that first obama election cycle so o seven to I left shortly after the inauguration, so I was there from pretty much the moment Hillary and uh, Obama announced um spent a lot of time on the road watching Obama. Clinton spent quite a bit of time around the McCain campaign. Um, yeah, it was a, a fascinating time. And I thought that would be the most interesting story I ever covered until <laughs> uh, it all went a bit It was an amazing
0: amazing period, 07, 08. It felt, felt, felt really, and the, camp, the, the Obama campaign is really one for the history books in terms of the excitement and the, and the, the enthusiasm and, and all the rest of it. What were what your conclusions? When you, you cover British policies, you covered American politics, what is the What are the advantages of either system, if you don't mind my asking such a broad question? Um, what what do you think are the great virtues of American politics that, that Britain doesn't have and vice versa?
1: Well, I think you have a, a clear leader um, uh, in a way that it's difficult to have uh, in Britain. You know, that presidential system, you know, creates um, a... Uh, you know, a figurehead in a way that a prime minister isn't, right. um, who is constantly chivvying away, worrying about how many votes he's got behind him for each issue. Um, so there's a freedom to that. But but the, the separation of powers can mean that you're actually more paralysed, even, you know, a, a British prime minister with a big majority is able to do things probably more easily than, a, than an American president. Oh, easily, um, easily. A British, a British Prime Minister with a, with no majority is is almost incapable of doing anything, um, uh, and doesn't quite have that sort of. Be, being head of state is different from being head of government, and mm. it gives you a grandeur and a bully pulpit that you don't have as a as a sort of uh, a more partisan political leader in Britain. Um, I would say I, I would have said uh, ten or twelve years ago that most of the relations in US politics were there was a sort of hatred under the scene, but most of the exchanges in the Senate were pretty cordial. Whereas in Britain, there's this sort of pantomime of everybody shouting at each other, but relationships behind the scenes were probably uh stronger and more cordial. I think probably both those things have changed on both sides of the Atlantic to a degree. Um the thing that strikes me most though is how we elect our leaders and 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 um how we go about choosing who who is in charge and i'm a huge fan of the american system i think you know clearly there are are problems with you know a two-year election cycle and all the rest of it um you know midterms getting in the way of things um and having a presidential election that takes two years and costs you know x billion dollars is frowned upon by a lot of people but i think you go into that it's a real test of people you cannot get through that process without america essentially knowing who you are and deciding whether or not they want you in their front rooms for the next four years um I wrote a piece about Barack Obama at the end of uh, my time in the States, just as he was starting as president. And I read that from time to time and think, you know what? You got that right. It, we knew who he was. We knew what his strengths were. We knew what his weaknesses were. We knew he was grand, occasionally a good speaker. We, you know, we knew that he was slightly ponderous in the way he went about his decision making. And all that was borne out by uh, his presidency. In Britain, you can literally become leader you know, uh, in five minutes with... The, the rest of the public having no idea who you are well, your know, theresa may the would be a good example
0: you, wouldn't she because well, she...
1: theresa may is the classic example you know she just turned up um she was home secretary she'd kept her head down for years boris johnson and michael gove effectively destroyed each other um and um it uh, she was left holding it and yeah, nobody she was also really knew a... who she was what she believed in and and you know even the contest to become Tory party leader, that the person who was down to the runoff against her, Andrea Lundson, just dropped out. So we never got to hear her policy platforms. We never got to hear what she really thought of Brexit. And part of the reason the first two years of the Brexit saga were such a shambles was because she was working it out as she went along as well. Um, and, you know, Boris Johnson has been around longer. But but even then, the only people who elected Boris Johnson to start with um, were initially a bunch of Tory MPs and then a bunch of Tory party members. Um, in America, you know, a lot of people looked at Trump and didn't necessarily like what they saw, but enough people were willing to go along with it and, and felt that, you know, he would shake things up. Um, I don't think too many people voted for Donald Trump on either occasion, not knowing who he was. Um, that may be even less palatable for some people. But, um, you know, I think... I think there's a lot. It, it, it's it's a noble and clear system, and I I think it's a rather good one actually.
0: Let me ask you just to sum up, really, or to finish up. Um, a lot of discussion over here. I've noticed the the difference between the discussion over here after the Meghan and Harry interview, um, and the difference between the British response. Obviously, at at some point, it's it is inevitable that the reigning monarch is going to die, um, and. I mean, I, I'm just trying to think, what, what is that, that going to feel like in Britain? That's going to be a huge event, is it not? I mean, and, and is the monarchy in a solid position to continue um, as it has done in the past? Uh, or is, is the monarchy a bit like Boris Johnson? It, it, it goes through periodic crises, but always seems to have some buoyancy to it in terms of, of public support. But what is, how, how do you think the country will respond to the death of Her Majesty?
1: i think it will be a pretty big moment um you know going back to what i was saying about presidents and prime ministers you know if prime ministers are smaller than presidents monarchs are bigger than presidents um you know she's head of state but she also embodies a thousand years of history um and uh, a lot of values that uh, a lot of brits still hold to um though the monarchy is often seen you know and particularly in the context of this megan and harry stuff seen as distant and uh, rather antediluvian by people under the age of 40. Um, So I suspect there will be a bit of an an age difference, a a division there. Um, I think you're right that, um, uh, for the most part, the monarchy has uh, absorbed a lot of problems over the years. We've had multiple civil wars. We've had multiple kings uh, uh, assassinated or deposed. um, And, uh, you know, we had an abdication... You know uh 90 odd years ago um we came back from that um but there's certainly some monarchs are held in high esteem and others aren't um the question is whether you know politically constitutionally whether anybody's likely to come up with an alternative and and a lot of people in britain still look at it and think well what is the alternative the alternative is you know president tony blair or something like that and a lot of people turn up their noses at that Uh, i suspect if it happened we'd all get on with it and within five years no one would much notice the difference it's not going to happen Tim.
0: It's not going to happen. It's,
1: it's really, it's <laughs> not going to happen anytime soon. No, I think, you know, um, my sense is that these things will survive. Um, uh, but, you know, it's uh, the challenge for Prince William is to make sure that by the time he gets the job, um, you know, next but one, um, that he's in a position to stabilise things and, and, and make it, um, you know, popular and glamorous again, um, uh, which will, I suspect for some people, involve paying some relations with his brother. <laughs>
0: People loved Harry. They used to love Harry in Britain. He was kind of their favourite royal. Now he's one of the least favourite
1: royals. Well, he was royals. a bit like Boris. He was the, cheapy, he was the cheeky <laughs> chappy. Um, yes. I think that's just, a, I think with Harry, there's a great deal of sadness. I mean, clearly there was a slight British element that, you know, um, Meghan has come along a little bit like Wallace Simpson and stolen away our favourite prince. Um, Uh, and not shown a great deal of uh, respect to the institution while she's done it. Now, clearly there are rights and wrongs on both sides, and uh, I suspect some of her, uh, the way she was treated was pretty appalling. But um, there's a kind of, you know, Britain is not terribly comfortable with uh, members of the royal family going on television and pouring out their hearts in the way uh, that was done. Um, And there's a bit of disappointment that Harry decided to to join in as well, I think. Um, uh, Especially jumping ship to America. jumping ship yeah, to america I mean, seems be...
0: like a bit 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 of a uh cheap and easy
1: and not just america california as well and britain is not a country that you know where people talk openly about being in therapy and speak in those kind of uh <laughs> tropes and, and and that whole interview was it was one long therapy session wasn't it um it was it was the whole vibe of it was something that americans are, are fundamentally more comfortable with than than a lot of sort of slightly uptight brits um uh, though, ironically, you know, insofar as mental health is discussed in Britain, it's largely discussed because Harry and William uh, put it on the agenda and made a huge play uh, of doing so over a period of years. It so, also makes um, me wonder
0: if Meghan Markle ever watched The Crown. I mean, it's like it's, we've we've had like several years of a, of a of an incredibly popular show that depicts the monarchy as cold, awful, in which women are treated awfully and have to just slog through. For the sake of the country. And 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 Meghan Markle all really didn't understand that about what she was getting into?
1: No, and she didn't understand the the whole concept of hierarchy. She turned up as a princess and expected to be treated like the queen, um and then was shocked to discover, you know, uh, what a surprise a massively hierarchical institution literally has an order of precedence you know <laughs> where you're supposed to walk behind each other and you know there's literally the running order depending on who dies who gets to take over next um, and she was surprised to discover that she she didn't rank on the same level as the queen or the, the people who are next likely to be queen um, so there's a lot of sort of uh, you know it's, it's understandable why people have reacted to this uh, very differently. But I think there's been a little bit of sort of uh, slightly um, uh, nationalistic pride um, saying, who is this American woman to come and tell us how to do things um, about the reaction to the interview.
0: Right. Tim, I want to thank you so much. I know you're, 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 re- you're writing or you're finishing writing the next book. And that's, that's about... Oh, I wish
1: I was finishing it. Oh, okay. <laughs> you're just writing it. What
0: is that? What is it about? What it was, is exactly it... the subject of this next book?
1: So it's basically, it picks up where the second one finished. So it's, it's, it's the Brexit story from the end of 2017 to the end of last year when the whole thing was finally done. So it's the three most turbulent years in British politics uh, that any of us can remember. Um, how the heck I'm going to keep it under 1,000 pages is anybody's guess, but uh, uh, I will do my utmost to make it interesting. Um, and there's, uh, there's a lot of, fun, lot of fun amidst the constitutional chaos.
0: Yes. A huge amount of human drama, funny anecdotes, amazing insider information that you get from Tim's book. I recommend them if you are at all interested in the great drama, tragic drama and comedy of British politics the last several years. Tim, thank you so much. I'm so glad to have had you, so grateful for your time, and um and best of luck with the with the new book.
1: Thank you, Andrew. It's been a great pleasure. You bet, Tim. Bye-bye.